Are you looking to take advantage of the historically low mortgage rates and have no idea where to begin? Ready to quit renting and become a homeowner? Hi guys, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Easier with a Friend. We're two ladies who have a joint interest in finances and love to discuss investments-related topics. I am Chi. And this is Elaine. And today, we wanted to cover mortgages, a topic that's been particularly hot this year because of the low interest rates. For instance, today's rate, as reported by Wells Fargo Bank, is 3.25% on a 30-year fixed mortgage and 2.5% for a 15-year mortgage. Yep. Some of our listeners may already know that I work in the home sales industry. So it's a topic that I'm extremely familiar with. And Chi and I have also both owned several homes now and have always loved discussing real estate and the current market. So we thought we would do a fun semi-educational episode on the ins and outs of real estate and mortgages. So kind of jumping into it, Chi, when was the earliest you learned about mortgages? I can't say that I've had any formal education, if you will, in mortgage, but I saw my parents buying their first home in America. And the main thing they taught me, honestly, is just to have good credit. They taught me the importance of having good credit and how it could help you buy a home. And they've always taught me to live below your means. So I knew to find something that was below my level of income that I could very much easily afford. But even things about the 20% down or any of that, no, I did not even discover that. When I bought my first home, my husband and I bought our first home right before we got married. We didn't have 20% down. We did 5%. And I remember when we moved in, when we got the key that first day, we moved in, we had no furniture and we were sleeping literally on the floor in our master bedroom, looking up at the ceiling and going, us two kids just conned this bank into giving us this house because we had no idea what we were doing. We literally went to closing with $5,000. That was what we had saved up was $5,000 to buy our first townhome. So it was definitely a process that I've had to learn as I gotten older. All right. Well, at least your parents taught you something about credit and mortgages. It always is interesting to me what different families teach their kids, I think, about finances. Because my parents also purchased several homes here in America and got financing for them, obviously, and cared about their credit, none of which they imparted to me at all. (laughs) When I went off to college, I had no idea about credit, about mortgages, about anything of the sort. had no consideration for the amount of money that we were throwing away on rent every single month. So she and I roomed together in college with two of our other friends, but on average, I think we've never spent less than probably a thousand a month, I think on our rent while we lived in Austin. And this was 20 years ago. So a thousand dollars 20 years ago was extremely high technically for rent, but It was a college town, and that was the way things were out there. I then, after actually taking a personal and family finance class in college, which I credit with teaching me all of the important things in life, okay? (laughs) The class that you really need 
is the stuff that teaches you about this kind of thing, your mortgage, saving money, credit, what that means for you, insurance, what you need and don't need, how you save money. Because look, the average American household income is $40,000 a year for a family of four. And every one of those pennies is going to count. I remember the course after she taught us about mortgages. I called my dad walking out of class and I said, why, why didn't we buy a house in Austin when we when I first came up here for school? I could have split the rent with my roommates for the last four years and the thing could be nearly paid off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was my probably my actual earliest mortgage education. So how old were you when you purchased your first home? Um, we were, let's see, it was right when I was getting married. So when did I get married? Right around 30. Okay. And y'all are in your third home now? Is that right? After that one, we purchased three other homes since then, including the one I'm sitting in right now. So including my current home, we've purchased four total together. Okay. Any general, I guess, recommendations as far as house shopping and things like that for our listeners? I would have to say safe for 20%. Prepare to do it. Of course, make sure you have good credit, clean up your credit, because that will give you the best shot at getting a good rate and getting a good loan. But I know you have a slightly different take on that traditional route. Well, and I, I do want to have a quick interjection there. Again, my personal recommendation now that I've been in real estate for quite a number of years is purchase a home anyway because let's calculate it out. Right now, interest rates are historically low. You're talking about three, maybe 4%. If you have terrible credit, and I mean, if you have 580 credit, you could still probably get approved depending on your debt to ratio situation, which we will also cover in a little more detail with three and a half percent down on an FHA loan. There is no such thing as removing the PMI on an FHA loan. It doesn't matter if you put down 20%. It doesn't matter if you put down 40%. That's just part of the loan that's built into the way that the loan works. But are you still better than spending $1,200 in rent for a one or two bedroom apartment? Absolutely. Because this is regardless still an asset that is under your name. And if that's how you have to start out so that you can save up the 20% equity in a home so that your next home you don't have the PMI, absolutely do it because how else are you going to save that money? I just don't see a route for an average American family to be able to spend $1,200 on rent, putting a roof over your head to get an even halfway decent apartment. And this I'm talking Houston pricing, which is not as high as renting in LA, renting in New York, renting in Seattle. And how are you going to take that money and then be able to additionally save 20%, the fastest way would be to qualify for a mortgage, suffer through the PMI for a few years, and be able to put 20% away in that home that you're investing in, plus, of course, growth, because the market is always growing, pretty much, and then take that 20% out. And on your next home, like Chi said, do away with the PMI, put the 20% in, don't have to pay that PMI, and, and go from there. Yeah, I obviously do not know as much as Elaine when it comes to this topic because she's at this point in the industry and knows a lot more. But from my personal experience, my husband and I very much followed a similar route in that our first home was a foreclosed townhome. 
And again, we had like 5% down <laughs> to buy that house. And then we used the equity on that house after I believe it was five years or so to then purchase the next home and had the 20% down for that next house. So yeah, my advice would be don't always look at the house as a forever home. It may be one that isn't the perfect floor plan or the perfect size, but it may be a good starter home to help you build up that equity that then hopefully can get you into a home that you love even more later on down the line. I absolutely agree with that. Definitely will double down on that piece of advice. I have so many young families or young couples that come and just want the world in their first home. They want all wood floors, a fireplace, a kitchen island. And the reality is for your first home, you might not be able to afford that, but you have to afford a first home so that you can save that money away to afford the second home that has more of those features that you want. And it may take two or three moves to get you into that. You've lived in an apartment for five years already, eight years, 10 years. If you can tolerate an apartment, you can tolerate in less than ideal home for a few years so that you can get your hands on that equity so that you can move. And also do keep in mind that in an average real estate market, you probably want to stay in that home about five years in order to get your worth out of it, have put enough money away in it. The house has grown every single year because also you will have some expenses when you sell it. And in an ideal situation, you probably don't want to consider your home, your investment, but I feel that for a lot of Americans, this is a good way for you to put away money because I find that people are good at paying their mortgages, but not great at taking that same amount of money and just saving it. Yeah. Real quickly, Elaine, can you give us a rundown on how to figure out how you qualify for a mortgage? Yeah, I'll be happy to go over that. And I'm going to use really simple numbers just because normally I write this out for my clients and numbers get really confusing just listening to them. So I'll use, say, whole numbers. So let's just say you're a family who makes $48,000 a year in total gross income. So that means before they've taken out taxes, I'm not talking about take-home income. $48,000 a year, mm -hmm. a mortgage company, just rule of thumb, will take that, divide it by the 12 months of the year, gives you $4,000. So they'll take the 4000 and again, divide that in half. Mm -hmm. And this is being very general because there are different programs that may allow you to use more of your income, less of your income. And that's because 2000 of those dollars, a mortgage company has allocated for your expenses, food, clothes, travel. And of course, this is your gross income. So you got to take out taxes somewhere. So basically half of the income they have set aside for you to do all of the other living items. So the remaining half of the income, $2,000, is what you qualify for once you subtract out any debts. Mm -hmm. So if you have zero debt, and I do not mean the cable bill or the phone bill, that's all in the other $2,000 that we've set aside already. I mean things that actually require a monthly note. So for instance, if you have a credit card, you don't take the full credit card amount 
say you have a credit card that the minimum monthly payment is $25. Okay. You take that $25 and you subtract it out of the 2000. And then if you have a car note, let's say you have a car note, that's $300. You subtract the $300 out of the 2000. And if you're one of those people, that's all you have one credit card, one car note. Great. That means you will qualify for $1,675 because you subtracted out $325 from the 2000. Yep. If you have student loans, So this is where it gets a little bit divergent. If you're doing an FHA loan, they will take 1% of any remaining student loans and count it against that monthly qualifying amount. So if you have $10,000 remaining in student loans, 1% of that is $100. So you'll have to subtract another 100 from the 1675. Mm -hmm. So now you will qualify for $1,575 monthly in qualifying payment on a home. Now for the payment on the home, they, they mean the whole payment, they will take in your principal and interest, which is your loan, right? Your taxes, your insurance, and if your community charges it, whatever your HOA is. So total monthly expenditure, you'll need to stay under 1575. And just to give our listeners a idea of where the scale spreads. Again, it will vary a little bit based on your tax rate in an area, your loan rate, but on a $200,000 mortgage, on average, you should expect to pay right about $1,500, maybe up to $1,600, right in that range, and maybe a little less, depending on if you have really great credit and you get a super low rate, maybe a little less than that. But right in that range of your monthly note, that will be your home, your taxes, your insurance, your HOA, all of it will fall into that amount. Okay, yeah, that sounds like it's pretty straightforward. And it really is case dependent, I guess. And there's a lot of variables, but your lender, and this is important, find a good lender, read reviews, get references, because you really need a good loan officer to fight for you to guide you through that whole process of figuring out qualifying for your loan and income and all of that. And they'll give you a very good breakdown. Now, if you have less money left in qualifying income, does that mean you can't get a home? No, it absolutely doesn't. Because as Chi mentioned here, her very first home purchase was a townhome. There are other options other than a freestanding home. You could purchase a townhome, you could purchase a condo that comes in, you know, well under that 1500 a month. And so even if you have only $1,000 left a month, uh, $800 left a month, you should really do your best to find a situation that will fit your income that could get you qualified. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like great advice. So can you talk a little bit about the low interest rates? I know that Freddie Mac, they have been tracking interest rates since 1971. And according to them, we are living in a time in which we do have historically low rates. Just as a comparison, the average mortgage rate for 1981 was 16.63%. Compare that to the 3.25% that we just mentioned earlier. That does seem really, really low. So can you tell us what we should be looking out for when we're looking at the rates? Yeah, so I agree. Definitely, if you are able to buy a home right now, now is a great time to go out and get one because that half a percentage, 1% can save you thousands, tens of thousands over the lifetime 
of a 15-year or a 30-year loan. But the thing with mortgage rates is also it's a little difficult to comparison shop. So here's what you'll really want to watch out for because 3.25 is the average Wells Fargo rate that they're giving us today, right? But if you go online right now and shop for mortgage rates, you'll probably see a lot of rates in the twos. And you'll wonder, you'll think, oh, well, this lender can give me a rate in the 2.5. This lender can give me 2.25. Yes, they might be giving you that rate or they might be giving you the 3.25 rate and then buying down the rate and hiding that buy down in the closing costs that they ask of you when you're paying for a mortgage. So, and I probably should cover that real quick. So just a fast rundown for anyone who has completely no knowledge of mortgages. When you go and purchase a home, it's not just about your down payment, which is whatever. If you're on an FHA 3.5%, or if you're doing a conventional loan, maybe you want to put down five, maybe you want to put down 10, 20. That's really up to you. But if you go out there and you pay the down payment, you still are on the hook for the closing costs because the seller pays the realtors. So the buyer pays their own down payment and they pay the closing costs, which goes to the lender and the title company and all of those entities. So you have to really, when you're getting a lender, ask them for a fee sheet breakdown of your loan, which should indicate all of where your closing costs are going. And so if your closing costs seem high and your interest rate is super low, they might be putting $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 into the closing costs where you are really paying the money to buy that rate down to 2.25, all right? And then that will just really depend on if that's worth it to you. If you have found a home where you truly believe you'll live in it for all 30 years of the mortgage, never leave, then maybe a $3,000 buy down for a percentage point would make a lot of sense because you'll save much more than that over the 30 years. But if you're like most average Americans, like Chi said, it's just your starter home. You might live in it five years. You got to think about if that $3,000 is actually going to be made back in those five years that you're living in the home. And that's where you'll need to ask for kind of a breakdown of where how much interest is going into the house every single month. It's called an amortization schedule. And they should be able to show you, hey, month one, this is your payment. This is how much goes towards your principal. And this is how much goes towards your interest. And you can kind of do a rough estimate of whether or not you really want to pay that amount to get the rate bought down. Because essentially a rate buy down in mortgages is a little bit just kind of paying the interest ahead. And so it doesn't necessarily save you money. It could, it absolutely could, but you have to analyze your own situation and really decide. And so that's how the rates can be a little deceptive. You just have to be kind of aware. So it's a little bit shopper beware. Yeah, I have to say definitely shop around for the lender. With this latest home that my husband and I purchased, we did that. And the banks are competitive with each other and they are willing to give you discounts in the closing costs even. We were able to get our lender to decrease a lot of the fees that they are able to control when it came to our closing costs, and that really helped us. And to be completely honest, we did put, I think, a little bit of money toward buying down the rate on this mortgage. 
I think for us, we kind of knew that we needed this home because of the school district. We were buying it for the kids, and we were estimating that we were going to at least be in this home until my two girls are going to be eighteen and no longer needed to be in this public school system. So we knew that we we're going to be in it for a little bit of a long term, and so it made sense for us that we were going to come out a little bit ahead if we were to buy down the rate. We did shop around for the lender, and that did save us a lot of money with the closing costs, and then. We use some of that money we save on the closing costs to put toward buying down the rate. Yes, and that's a really smart way to use closing costs. And I actually do want to touch on because Chi mentioned school districts. That's also something to pay attention to a little bit because a home in a good school district will maintain value. People always want to live in an area with a good school district or at least a decent one. That's important. It might be worth it to you long term. First of all, your kids will get a first-rate education. But even if you don't have kids, if you're thinking this is a short-term thing, I'm going to be here five years, make my equity, and get out, then you definitely want to sort of insure your investment. So, just another little tip. I also do want to mention that traditionally, locking in your mortgage has actually been a pretty good way for you personally. To be beating the inflation rates or rising rates of rent and things like that, and I want to give a couple of examples. So, for instance, the home builder that I work for, when I started selling homes for them five years ago, my best priced home started at I think one sixty, roughly. The exact same house today, only five years later, will cost you right about two ten. On average, our homes usually gain about ten thousand dollars in value a year. So five years ago, if you had locked in that mortgage payment, you probably have locked in a twelve, thirteen hundred dollar payment. Now, fast forward to today, if you're paying twelve, thirteen hundred dollars for a rental in Houston, you're probably barely getting a two bedroom in a decent apartment complex. So in five more years, when you're paying now eighteen hundred dollars for rent. He's still paying twelve hundred dollars for his mortgage and putting away some of that money for himself into his equity. That's a really good point. I remember a few years ago the rates were going up, and my husband and I at the time we had sold the home in Texas because we were moving, and we were thinking to ourselves that with the rate going up and where it was expected to go, it would be a lot more costly for us to be able to afford a home. In our new state of Colorado, and COVID has been a terrible thing for a lot of people. We've had suffered financially, honestly, too, because of the pandemic and job loss and things like that. But on the other hand, because of the historically low rates, we were able to lock in a really good interest rate, and and honestly, we got lucky in terms of that aspect. So really, take advantage of the market situation if you're able to. For sure, it's huge, and also I think the mental aspect of it is huge. Coming from renting to owning a home, there's just a completely different feeling when you walk into the home that you own. So I think there's definitely much more than just the financial aspect. There's also some of the emotional, mental aspects of home ownership that definitely are beneficial. That's a really good point. And for our listeners, if you have personal questions about mortgage and qualifying, you're looking at purchasing a home today, and you just want some free advice or free expertise, feel free to email us or DM us on Instagram. 
Once again, we're at the end of today's Easier with a Friend episode. As always, we would like to remind you to reach out to a friend today if you have enjoyed tuning in. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any new episodes. Follow us on Instagram at Easier with a Friend, on our Facebook page, Easier with a Friend, or email us at easierwithafriend at gmail.com.